Well, I'm glad you're here today, and I want you to take your Bible, and I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21. I want to speak to you today on this subject, a vision of heaven. We just ended this series, Genesis 1 through 11, where we saw that God, who created a perfect world, place Adam and Eve in paradise and then had to close paradise because Adam and Eve sinned against God. We saw paradise lost. Well, I thought the very next thing we need to do is come back and and look at paradise regained. Paradise regained. That's what you see in Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22. Sean McDowell who has spoken at this church, posed a question to a group of Christian high school seniors. He said this, if you knew for certain that you only had three days left to live on earth, how would you spend your remaining time? The answers included, I'd skydive. I would travel, I would surf and other things that I won't mention in church. And he followed up with a simple question. So you think there may be some pleasures and experiences in this life that if you don't partake of them before you die, you may miss out in heaven. All but two of them said yes. If I don't, if I don't do these things now, if I don't partake of these pleasures now, I'll never get to partake of them in heaven. Science fiction writer Isaac Asimov wrote this, and I quote, he said, I don't believe in the afterlife, so I don't have to spend my whole life fearing hell or fearing heaven even more. For whatever the tortures of hell, I think the boredom of heaven would be even worse. Now, let me say this to you. Your vision of heaven will determine how you live your life. If you have a proper vision of heaven, it will enable you to deal with the difficulties and the tragedies and the pains of this life. But if you have an improper view of heaven, it will lead you to places of disaster. It'll lead you to indulge in sin. It will lead you to a place of anxiety. It will lead you to a place of incessant worry. It's very important that you have a proper view of heaven. So before we move too deep in our discussion, I want us to look at the first part of chapter 21. You notice the Bible says, uh, John, John wrote, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. Now what John sees here is absolutely breathtaking. Heaven is not a figment of some preacher's wild imagination. Heaven is real. It's a real place. Just before Jesus was crucified, 
he gathered his disciples in the upper room and he said this to them. He said, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. You see Jesus, before he was crucified, speaking into the life of the disciples who would carry on his ministry and his gospel, said to them, I'm going to prepare a place for all who believe in me. It's a real place. Heaven is a real place. And on the cross, just before Jesus died, the repentant thief turned to him and he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say to him? Do you remember? He said, today you will be with me in what? Paradise. You'll be with me in paradise. Heaven is a real place. Now, I love in verse 1 of chapter 21, the, the, the term new. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now, that word new is a very important word, and it describes something that's fresh. It describes something that is uh, new in quality. And that's exactly what the new heaven and new earth will be like once Jesus comes. Now, notice this. John said, there's no longer any sea. And I've had people ask me, you, you, are you telling me that on the new he- in the new heaven and the new earth, the place that we will live forever, that there will be no seas? This is not a geographical term. This is a spiritual term for you see in the first century, they viewed the sea as a place of evil, a place of separation. And and I think what John is communicating here when he talks about no sea in the new heaven and the new earth is that there will be absolutely no evil in the new heaven and new earth, no evil whatsoever. Now we're surrounded by evil today. It amazes me how evil gets more evil with every passing day. I got to be honest with you. Sometimes I'm absolutely shocked at at how evil keeps going down, like spiraling downward and downward and downward. But I want you to understand something, that one day when Jesus creates the new heaven and new earth and he places us in that wonderful place There will be absolutely zero evil, zero evil. Look in verse 2 of chapter 21. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. So it's a holy place. Moral purity will be an absolute requirement to be in this place called heaven. It's a defining characteristic of the new heaven and the new earth. Bruce Milne wrote this. He said, heaven is not so much a new world up there as it is a new world down here. Notice heaven comes down to earth and it's a new heaven and a new earth. All of this is a handiwork of God. 
the marriage metaphor you see here in, in verse 2, notice, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, that metaphor is a very important metaphor. You know, in all my years of ministry, I've never seen an ugly bride. Can't say that for grooms. <laughs> but I have never seen an ugly bride. I think what, what the Lord is communicating to us here about this wonderful place, a vision of heaven, is, is that heaven is going to be an absolutely beautiful place. Beauty beyond anything you have ever seen on this fallen planet today. But it's also a place of joy. The metaphor of marriage here, the bride coming down from heaven to the groom, the Lord Jesus, is a picture of joy, unspeakable and full of glory. And it's also a picture of love, love, joy, and beauty. That is a description of the new heaven and the new earth. Now, as we move into verses 3 to 7, I want to point out to you four uh, truths about heaven as we flesh out this vision of heaven. Number one, I want you to see the blessing of God's presence. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. The Bible says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Do you understand that in heaven, in, in, with this vision of heaven, we will live forever in the immediate presence of our glorious God? Now, in the Garden of Eden, before Adam and Eve sinned, they walked with God. They talked with God. They worshiped God. And what John describes here is paradise regained. Once again, we will have uh, the privilege of being in the presence of God. Think about this. We will see God in all of his glory. Just think about that for just a moment. We will enjoy perfect fellowship with God. We will worship God in person. Hey, we've had a great worship service today. We have worshiped him in spirit. But do you understand that with this vision of heaven, one day, one day, if you're a born-again believer, you will worship God in person. You will see the nail scars in the hands of the Lord Jesus. You will see the nail scars in his feet. And you will worship our dear Lord and Savior visually in person. And we will serve the Lord. Revelation 22.3 says we will serve the Lord forever. There will be special jobs that will be given in the kingdom of heaven. And we will grow in our knowledge of God according to 1 Corinthians 13.12. And we will experience his grace and his mercy and his love forever like a, like a, a never-ending fountain of grace, mercy, and love. And we will experience that forever. And the Bible says in Revelation 22.5, hold on to your seats now, the Bible says if you're a born-again believer that you will reign with Jesus in his kingdom. You will have special responsibility, kingdom responsibilities in his kingdom. The unveiled presence of God 
is the essence of heaven. So there's number one, the blessing of God's presence. Number two, there is the blessing of God's peace. Look at verse four. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Now, this is the very essence of the blissful shalom that the Old Testament Jews look forward to. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 10, Isaiah wrote about this shalom, this blissful shalom. He wrote, and the ransom of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion with everlasting joy upon their heads, and they will find gladness and joy and sorrow and and sighing will flee away. I, I want you to grasp the significance of this verse. Milne wrote this. He said, verse four is in this sense a deeply Christological statement. For all of these blessings, look at the blessings again. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he said, all of these blessings flow and can only flow from him who engaged all our enemies on our behalf in the hell of Calvary and won there for us an everlasting liberation. The tenderness of the image must not be missed. He, our heavenly father, will wipe every tear from our eyes. Mm. Think about that just a moment. In heaven, the believer's eternal home, there's a total absence of anything, underline the word anything, that brings tears to our eyes in the here and now. Tears of sorrow shed at the graveside of a loved one are replaced by sheer joy as believers embrace their saved loved ones in a grand heavenly reunion. Tears of hurt produced by thoughtless, even ruthless acts of people will no longer be shed in heaven. Why? Because in heaven, there will be no thoughtless or ruthless acts. Because in heaven, every single person in the kingdom of heaven is incapable of sin. We, our sin nature is eradicated when we get to heaven, when we see Jesus. And tears of pain associated with cancer, with arthritis, with Alzheimer's, with broken dreams and broken hearts, will be wiped away by our heavenly father in heaven. There will be no disease, no depression and no discouragement. I'll tell you, I believe if a line were forming to go to heaven, I'd cut line right now. <laughs> Life in heaven would be absolutely new and amazing. Everything associated with our fallen world will be eliminated and replaced by the best the heart of God longs to provide for his children. In Psalm 16, 11, David wrote this. He said, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence, in the presence of God, listen, there is fullness of joy. Amen. Let me ask you a question. 
in this life, have you ever experienced fullness of joy? That you know what the answer is? No, you haven't. Now, you may have experienced joy. You experienced joy when, when you held in your arms your, your child or, or your, your grandchild. You may have experienced joy over a, an athletic win or, or something like that. But I'll tell you, friend, you have never experienced fullness of joy. But I'll tell you, in the presence of God, you will experience fullness of joy. And look at this. David also wrote, and in your right hand, there are pleasures forever. There are pleasures forever. You don't wear yourself out in heaven with one pleasure for a million years. There are pleasures forever, new pleasures forever from the hand of a gracious heavenly father who loved you and saved you by sacrificing his own son on the cross of Calvary. Don't think for a minute. Do not think for a single minute that heaven will be a step down from life in this fallen world. You need to know that heaven is a step up. You need to know that the best is yet to come. It's yet to come. We've already seen evidence of this bold statement in the blessing of God's presence and the blessing of God's peace. But I'm not through yet. I got two more blessings I want to drop in your heart today that will be yours if you're a born-again believer in heaven one day. The, the next one, number three, is the blessing of God's promise. Let, let's be honest. How can we be sure this is true? Maybe you're asking that right now. How can I be sure, Pastor? Is it, this just your opinion? Or are you absolutely sure, Pastor, that what you're preaching today, this vision of heaven, is a reality? I believe it is a reality, and I believe it's based on God's promise. Look at verse 5. And he who sits on the throne said, this is God. Now, this is Jesus. Behold, I am making all things new. Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad that heaven's not going to be some kind of recast have earth or recast heaven? Aren't you glad it's going to be brand new? Aren't you glad on the new earth there'll be new lakes and, and new flowers and, and new beauty that you've never seen before in your entire life? Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, look, look at this, right, for these words are faithful and true. They're faithful and true. That's God's promise here. He is making all things new. I want you to know that what I'm preaching today is not pie in the sky stuff. In Revelation 19.11, Jesus, just look at 19.11 just a moment. The Bible talks about the second coming of Christ. And in verse 11 of chapter 19, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. Well, who is this one who is faithful and true? Well, it's King Jesus. It's the Lord Jesus. And now he affirms his promise of heaven, our eternal, our, our eternal home, as being faithful and true. Faithful and true says this is faithful and true, what I'm preaching to you today. Should we take our Lord's promise at face value? Well, let's just look down at, at verse 6 for just a moment. 
In Revelation 21, 6, he adds to the promise here. He said, then he said to me, it is done. Boy, when I read that, you know what I thought of? I thought of the cross. I thought of the cross. When Jesus paid the penalty for the last sinner who will ever live on this earth. And he said what? It is finished. It's finished. And right here in verse 6, he said it's done. It's a done deal. Heaven is not up, up for guess. Heaven is not up for uh, possibility. Or Heaven is real. Heaven is done. And, and it, the promise is made by the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Our Lord's authority is unquestioned and unlimited. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He said it is done. This promise comes from our Lord. It comes from our Lord. It doesn't come from a preacher. It doesn't come from a well-meaning uh, person in society. It comes from the Lord Jesus himself. He says, I want you to understand that heaven is real. It is real. And the best is yet to come. So we've seen the blessing of God's presence, the blessing of God's peace, and the blessing of God's promise but I'm not done. I got one more. The next one is a blessing of God's people. Look at verse 6 again. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. Now, here, here's something interesting. The Bible says here, that the inhabitants of heaven, believers in heaven, are thirsty. Thirsty for what? Not thirsty for a drink of water. Not thirsty for a Coke or a Dr. Pepper. No, no, no. They're thirsty for something much more important, or someone much more important. Milne said this, I quote, heaven will both satisfy and dissatisfy us. It will be the completion of all our dreams, fulfilling of all our longings, satisfying of all of our desires. But insofar as these desires are centered on the infinite God who made and redeemed us, heaven will awaken unimaginable new depths and heights of longing. We will yearn for him as we have never yearned for him before. To know God and to thirst to know him more and more is the paradox of heaven. That's what he's talking about, thirsty for God, thirsty for more of God. You see, friend, when you get to heaven, I want you to know that for all of eternity, you will have the capability, the new capacity to new, know God in deeper, more relevant, intimate ways than you ever have before. Listen, when you're there a million years, you're only, you're only beginning to know God. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, 12, just a moment. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. The Bible says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part 
But then I will know fully just as I've also been fully known. I can't imagine being in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ for all of eternity. Paul talked about how his desire was to know God and the fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his resurrection. I'll tell you that thirst that Paul had did not end when he went to heaven. God threw gasoline on that fire and that fire will burn for all of eternity and he will want to know more and more about God. Well, I'll tell you, there's no way heaven will be boring. There's no way that we will not be challenged by being in heaven in the presence of the living holy God. Aren't there some questions you would like to ask God? Aren't there questions about creation? Aren't there questions about the things and the way life works that you would like to ask God? I'll tell you for all of eternity, God will be revealing more and more of himself to us. The Bible says in verse verse 7, he who overcomes will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. Not only are we thirsty in heaven, but I want to tell you, dear friend, we will all, we're also overcomers in heaven. We're overcomers. We overcome so much in this life. We overcome sin. We overcome our frailties. We overcome everything by the power of the resurrected Christ. And we inherit amazing stuff from God. We are inheritors of the promises of God. We are heirs of God and co-heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul said in Romans chapter 8. And we will inherit all that our loving and gracious Heavenly Father has prepared for us. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about your inheritance? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, Paul wrote this. I mean, Peter wrote this. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. What do we know about our inheritance? Right here, Peter says, the Holy Spirit reveals to us that our inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, It will never fade away, and it's reserved in heaven for you. Listen, if you're a born-again believer right now, your your, your inheritance is waiting for you in heaven, and it's going to be awesome. Verse 5 says, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Glory to God in the highest. I open this sermon with Sean McDowell's question to a group of high school seniors, senior Christians, by the way. And now I want to close with it. I want to ask that question to you. If you knew for certain that you only had three days to live, how would you spend your remaining time? How would you spend your remaining time? Now, I'm not asking you to to think about how your spouse would spend 
their remaining time or how your kids would spend their remaining time or how your parents would spend their remaining time. But I'm asking you very personally, just you alone, how would you spend the last three days of your remaining time before you step into eternity? You know what determines the answer? Your vision of heaven. If you have a proper vision of heaven, it will impact how you spend your final three days on this planet. If you have an improper view of heaven, it will will influence how you spend your last three days on this earth before you go into eternity. I trust that the Holy Spirit has used this word today to open your eyes to the glory of heaven. And I trust that your response would be appropriate. Believe me, heaven is a real place, a glorious place created by God and filled with joy and beauty and love. And you need to remember this, the best is yet to come. Let me tell you, Joel Osteen wrote a book a few years ago, Your Best Life Now. I I tell you, if I spent money on that book, I'd want a a refund. Because I can tell you this, you're not going to have your best life on this planet. Your best life will occur when you're in the presence of God in heaven. That's the best life. So we've seen... Why this is true, it's the blessing of God's presence, the blessing of God's peace, the blessing of God's promise, and the blessing of God's people. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Seriously, would you go to heaven? Now, now here's the nasty little truth. You don't have a clue when you're going to die. I, 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 I started to say I pick up the paper every day, and I read, but I don't read the paper anymore. I, I pick up my phone. And it seemed like every day I read about a, a young person, a young athlete, a person in the prime of life, and they die way too early. They step into eternity way too early. And I tell you on the authority of God's word, the Bible says today is a day of salvation. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed next week or next month or next year. It would behoove every single person within the sound of my voice to do a deep dive into your own heart and your own soul, and you make sure that you are genuinely saved. I'm, I'm so afraid that so many people have bought into a knockoff view of the gospel, and they think they're saved, but they're not saved. And Jesus wrote about that in, in, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. I don't have time to read it. You ought to read it when you go home today. Matthew 7, 21 to 23, about people who thought they were saved, who thought they were going to heaven. But Jesus said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice iniquity. You make sure that you're ready to step into eternity. You say, how do I do that? 
Well, Jesus said this in, in John chapter 14, verse 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Look, the God of heaven made provision for you to be saved when he sacrificed his son on the cross of Calvary. And Jesus died for your sins. He assumed your guilt. He paid the penalty for your guilt with his own blood. And God supernaturally raised him from the dead. He's alive and he can save your soul today. But you've got to be willing to turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus and receive him as both Savior and Lord. You know what that means? It means he gets called shots for the rest of your life. You don't get to call the shots. That's what lordship means. Oh, I invite you to come to Jesus today. And I want to say a word if you're a believer in this room today. Not just to unbelievers, but to believers. I ask you this question. Are you living with a heavenly perspective? You know, the Bible says, if you're a believer, you're a citizen of heaven. In fact, in Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21, Paul wrote, for our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Are you eagerly looking forward to the coming of Jesus? Are you? Are you hoping he doesn't come for a while? Because there's stuff you want to do down here. See, if you have a heavenly perspective, it will greatly impact your life. In Colossians chapter 3, look, look at this. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, look at it. The Bible said, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So is your mind set on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God? Or are you so locked into this world system that everything in your life is determined by what happens in the circumstances that surround you? I'll tell you, it'll make all the difference in the world in your life. If you approach this life as a believer with a heavenly perspective. Would you bow your heads, please? Heavenly Father, I, I thank you that this week you laid on my heart to preach on heaven. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that just as Genesis chapter 3 pictures for us paradise lost, Revelation chapter 21 and 22 pictures for us paradise regained. I thank you, Father, for the power and the glory and the redemption we have in Christ Jesus. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that I can look into the eyes of everybody gathered in this room and speak into the hearts of those 
participating by live stream and say to them without stuttering that the best is yet to come. But only if they're a believer. Oh God in heaven. I pray for every person in here to look deeply in their own heart and make sure they're saved. If not, Lord, please save them today. Please, by the power of the Holy Spirit, draw them to Jesus and save them. And Lord, I pray for believers. Lord, it's so easy for us to get distracted by this world system and by the circumstances of our own lives. But I pray that every believer would have as their first priority the Lord Jesus pleasing him and having a heavenly perspective in life. Lord, do a work here today. In Jesus' name.